0: Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Matthew. Uh, our co-host, Josh Afine will be on here in just a moment. And we're going to have a special guest with Beniah Brabant, my buddy, uh, from the old days at uh, Hudson County Community College. I don't know how two people from different parts of the world could somehow or other end up there. And uh end up being NASCAR fans but that's how we we found uh, our deal and we're going with that. He'll be on here in just a moment to uh discuss the events at Darlington which um if you're hearing this it'll be after uh you saw that the Xfinity race got rained out to Thursday afternoon though as it stands the weather shows that uh, it'll be an issue for for Thursday afternoon as well to see them go and race at Darlington. Coming off of the first cup race in 10 weeks, the Your Heroes, Your Real Heroes 400, which Kevin Harvick ended up winning his 50th career cup series race, seeing uh, tying both uh, Hall of Famers, uh, Hall of Famers Ned Jarrett and Junior Johnson for 12th all-time as uh as a uh, uh, 50 career wins going and breaking a tie with Tony Stewart as car owner and good buddy to um, be the uh at 49 wins we we'll also go over a lot of the stuff that went o- went on during the broadcast um and during the race itself. Hey, Josh, how's it going, man?
1: I'm doing great. I'm just glad to see racing back finally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, racing uh, the cup race. Only had to go against the Skins Game golf deal at uh, Seminole uh, Golf Club uh, for the Rory McElroy and Dustin Johnson versus Ricky Fowler and uh Matthew Wolf it was somewhat competitive but it didn't have a whole lot of sauce with it however there was a little bit more interesting action that went on at Darlington uh Kevin I was just talking about how Kevin ended up uh winning the the race and uh, uh talking just basically leading up to that uh we'll also go over you know Hendrick Motorsports JGR Some of the guys that stood out, like a couple, three people uh, that we'll go over. And then also mentioned that they canceled uh, the race until Thursday for Xfinity. So how's that going to all How the logistics of everything for those teams who don't have as much um, clientele or people to go and get things going? How is it going to affect them, especially the smaller teams, not the cup affiliated teams? And then we're also going to focus on some of the issues that went on with some of the back uh predominantly Quinn Hoff, and how he was in the way when he's never driven a lap at Darlington. So let's start with Kevin Arvik, number 50, is a big number, ties Junior Johnson at Jarrett, as I said, gets breaks a tie with Tony Stewart. He led more than half the race. It was basically... Uh, his show in the second half of the race, and there was really only three leaders during the entire event. There were more than that, but there's really three guys that led the majority of the race. And the, uh, I mean, it, it, I was thinking, Josh, that the the 550 rules package is great for restarts, and it's good for about five laps, and then after that, at most racetracks, as it has proven to be. It doesn't really work very well. And at a track like Darlington too, where it's very difficult to drive and you have hard rock tires as they do, it basically led to a lot of separation and a lot of spread out action. And the 4 team really hit on the setup. They were laying in the weeds through the first two stages. But when it counted, they took the lead and they took off. So uh, what are your thoughts on harvick's 50th win and what that means in general not only for his organization but for him as a driver um in the grand scheme of great nascar drivers
1: well it really just points to the fact that harvick is really a dominant driver and i don't think a lot of people give him enough credit i would say um, because earlier in his career uh, he wasn't as dominant and then i would say probably about 2010 onward is where we've seen Kevin Harvick really uh, become some one of the top drivers in the sport. Um, people forget that if it weren't for the chase, you know, he would have been the champion in 2010. And ever since mm-hmm. he joined Stuart Haas, you know, he's basically probably been uh, one of the most winningest drivers uh, in the Cup Series. And he's been in the chase or in the Final Four basically like every year now or almost every yep. year. And, every
0: year except one.
1: Yeah, I think that was, like, 2016 or something like that, or 2015.
0: And he won four races that year, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so, you know, it just proves some. Even though I think maybe in the last two or three years, maybe he has been quite as dominant, but um, it hasn't been for lack of trying. He still leads a lot of laps and still gets uh, uh, and racks up a ton of top fives, top tens, and all that. So I think he's, uh, you know, just... He may, may not, I don't know if he's going to win um, four or five races this year, but he'll definitely be a contender come November.
0: Yeah, I'd definitely say that. I mean, it's something to look at that combination. You, you look at the great combinations in, in terms of driver, crew chief in the history of the sport, and now you put Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers into that or a conversation. I mean, they probably have to win another championship. They have to go and and do, uh, you know, some other winning, of course. But twenty six wins, he's already beat uh, his total. He had at at RCR, and he ran there for fourteen years. Uh, Clayton Caldwell, uh, my uh, uh, a good friend and writer at Front Stretch and the host of uh, Talking in Circles, the other show that I'm connected to, he had a great. Post. He showed the career stats of Kevin Arvik. 466 starts at RCR, he had 24 wins, which was a win every 19.1 starts, so every once every 19 races. And 221 starts at SHR he has 26 wins. One win every 8.4, which is or under two wins a year at RCR, and over four per year at SHR. If he ran his entire career at the pace he's at now, he'd have 81 victories. So he would be in that Jimmy Johnson kind of area where, and then those elite, those great legends of Bobby Allison, Darryl Waltrip, Cale Yarborough, where they're in the 80s. Uh, If they had been together, I think that's what Tony Stewart wanted when he got his good buddy to come over there. He was able to get Rodney Childers too. That was his goal. I think as much as him trying to go and be competitive, which he was, Tony was for probably three years uh, more or less uh, as an owner driver, and then he fell off with all the different things he went through. And then, uh, but getting Kevin and having this order, that's why Kevin is staying. You know, that's why Kevin is going to continue on uh, driving for more years. It looked like he was going to go announce. Uh, he was going to go to announce and go to TV, but he he uh, decided to turn around and and start at uh, continue with uh, continue with the, uh, the this team for another three four years. So who knows how many wins he's gonna he's gonna end up having by then? Uh, it'll we're curious to see what's going to happen because there's plenty of time to go. Uh, I. I figure we go from that and it's like, what did you think of the race? Like in terms of what was going on, how they handled it, the whole process and then what the actual on track product was, what did you think of the race, uh, on Sunday?
1: Uh, I mean, it definitely felt weird not having fans there. Uh, and I think, I don't know, it was, it was just weird to see them, um, doing, you know, like, I guess, like, all the spotters were up on the stands, and they had um, they had to separate them, because they got too close together, I heard about that. Uh, I think, I don't know. Yeah, I think was. that was, what's
0: his name, the, the 14 spotter, as usual, being Brett Griffin, being Brett Griffin, yeah. so.
1: Right, right, and I, I mean, I think it probably went as well as it could have gone, um, you know, given all the circumstances and everything, and as far as the On track action. I mean, it looked like, you know, even though they didn't have any practice and there wasn't any actual qualifying and the lack of preparation and the fact that basically just show up and and leave and all that. um, Even with all that, it still looked like what we've seen from a typical Darlington race since the Gen 6 came in 2013, where it's a lot of uh, single file uh, racing and basically like it comes down to the restart and the first couple laps after the restart. Uh, even with this package, uh, with the restricted uh, horsepower that they have, uh, where the first couple laps had the restart, where most of the action occurs.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I didn't think about it in the sense of how the Gen 6 and all of its different forms has been in existence since thirteen. Uh, we talked about it last week, how Toyota... Uh, has had a pretty good stranglehold at Darlington that didn't uh, continue on Sunday. We'll get into that in more detail, but it's true at Darlington. It's uh, they, they, doesn't matter what package they use. And in this case, this one's meant to keep people closer, but um, it didn't, but it's kind of par for the course. And uh, I, I would also say that, you know, it was, I think the competition, their little modified competition, yellow deal actually wasn't a bad idea. I think it actually seemed to work because they actually went and put four tires on instead of doing other things. I don't know how that'll work as we go to smoother racetracks, as we go to Charlotte for, uh, the 600 in on Sunday or other racetracks. But I think that that actually has a good function It might be some things they could do with these stage breaks. I think that would be an interesting way to go and mess with the field and, or adjust things in the field as we go along. Who knows, knowing NASCAR, that might be something they would do. Um, but we'll, I guess we'll find out. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, I mean, yeah, not having anybody in the racetrack is just weird to see all that empty space. The grandstands completely empty when you consider what grandstands have been for the last maybe 10 years or so. There's been more empty grandstands. So in that sense, it really didn't mess with anything. It messed with Kevin Harvick's celebration when he ended up getting up and nobody was cheering. But um,
1: Yeah, that's kind of what you know I meant yeah. by that.
0: But outside of that, I don't think I don't think it really hurt anything or affected anything in the bad bad uh, deal. It, it was a race. I think is it a it's good to see him back, and I guess we'll we'll go into more detail of what we think is going to come on uh, tomorrow night if they race tomorrow night, which weather. Isn't in their favor in terms of racing tomorrow night. They move the race up two hours. They were gonna or an hour and a half. Uh, They say they're gonna the the start on TV is gonna be six. So obviously they're not gonna start at six. Uh, They always draw out crap for no reason. They said it was a three thirty TV start, and it took them until almost four o'clock for the race to actually start, which is idiotic at Darlington, quite frankly. Uh, But that's beside the point. Uh, the We'll go over the results here. Uh, Kevin Harvick wins his 50th career race, leading 159 laps, two times for 159 laps. Alex Bowman finishes second, Kurt Busch third, Chase Elliott fourth, Denny Hamlin fifth, Martin Truex sixth, rookie Tyler Reddick in seventh, Eric Jones in eighth, John Hunter Nemechek in ninth, and Matt Kenseth, the returning Matt Kenseth for... Uh, Chip Ganassi Racing in uh, what used to be Kyle Larson's car finishes 10. Uh, in terms of cars on the lead lap, there were 24 cars on the lead lap. Of course, they did an invert, so the top 20 were in will be inverted at the start of this next race, the Wednesday race. In Ryan Priest and Ty Dillon in the uh, Hump Day Geico Chevrolet will be on the front row whenever they race this next race at Darlington with Joey Logano, Clint Boyer, and Ryan Blaney rounding out the top five. Uh, in terms of, we mentioned Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, Hendrick Motorsports definitely had uh, an interesting day. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, I had to say one of the things that came out of that deal was Jimmy Johnson and how he looked uh, during the early part of the race during that first segment and being able to look like his old self. And he was on his way to winning his only a second stage of his illustrious career. And he wrecked coming off of two uh, with Chris Busher, ending his day. He ended up taking the blame for it. It was probably pushing a little bit too hard, but you know, he was fast and it was that was the closest I think Jimmy Johnson has looked to being Jimmy Johnson in a long, long time. And you had Will Byron up there. There was a point where three Hendrick cars were in the top five, and it was almost like going back a decade or more, you know, when that used to be the thing. Uh, Byron ended up having a loose wheel and some other stuff, and he hit the wall, and that was the end of that for him. And of course, Bowman held on. He was one of only three guys that really stood out. Uh, Brad Keselowski was the only other guy that really led any big number of laps. But thing I would I would ask is like, what should we expect in terms of Hendrick Motorsports as we go on through this? Uh, uh, Abbreviated kind of setup. And it, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying about the no practice. Like that's what they're doing. No practice, no qualifying. Maybe Hendrick does a better job by doing it that way than some of the other teams, like who we're going to mention in a moment, in a little bit. But what do we expect from, or what do you expect, Josh, in terms of these next few races, especially Darlington, Charlotte, and so on and so forth for these guys? And what does it say about Chevy as well? and the improvements they've made with their body style.
1: Well, I would say for Hendrick, uh specifically, I'd probably, point out, uh, I'd probably point out Alex Bowman and um, Chase Elliott probably being the two guys that you'll see compete regularly on a um, week basis. Uh, we kind of saw that um, before the hiatus or before the pandemic with Alex Bowman, he had the – big dominant win at uh, Fontana and he was yep. closing in on the final laps at Las Vegas. So looking back at that and Chase Elliott was like, um, I don't know if he, I think Chase Elliott, like he wasn't, wasn't quite as good, but um, he was kind of, uh, I guess you could say like uh, top five, top 10. And I think going forward, you'll probably see at least on the uh, super speedways or, well, not on the super speedways, but like on the, the cookie cutter tracks, the mile and a half and, and um, maybe, you know, the the big uh, tracks that aren't play tracks that you'll see Chevy uh, start to kind of regain its old form that it it lost over the last two or three seasons. Uh, I think, I think probably Alex Bowman will be the, um, I mean, I, I know I'm saying Alex Bowman a lot, but like for whatever reason, he's just standing out to me a lot because he seems like um, he's been the most competitive uh, driver right now at Hendrick. Um, and I think Jimmy Johnson, you, you probably will see him get back to form a little bit. But you know, he's, starting, you know, he's starting to see his skills erode a lot because you know, he, he, he led a lot of laps, but then he made that mistake at the end that uh, took him out, I think. As you said, like he pushed too hard a little bit at the end and probably wasn't that necessary given it was the last uh, lap of the stage. Which is something you don't expect. You don't expect the leader to crash um, suddenly like that, um, and and on the the final lap of really anything. But I think uh, William Byron probably too um, should have some solid performances. But I think with the maybe with his lack of experience, he uh, might not uh, perform quite as well as maybe Bowman and Elliott.
0: Yeah, I mean Elliott at the end of the day. Wasn't a factor in the race for most of the for most of it. Uh, he ended up getting a top five finish, which is, shows kind of his maturity uh, compared to where he may have been a few years ago. The he was the one hundred car that really didn't have the outright pace. Bowman was up there all day. Uh, he had a good short run, short to medium run car. Byron threw away a definite top ten finish, and Jimmy. I had money on him because the number was good. The <laughs> fact of the matter is, I thought he was going to win number eighty-four, and I was like, "Oh, look at me! I'm going to go and cash out." And then he freaking makes a move that he he would have never made that move in his in his heyday, in his prime. Uh, that that is just weird, and it's unfortunate because they wasted a great race car. And they wasted a real opportunity there for for Jimmy to get himself in a place where he could have gotten number 84, joined those legends, as we mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago, at 84 wins in in Bobby Allison and Darryl Waltrip, uh, breaking his tie with fellow three-time consecutive champion, Cale Yarbrough. And he just threw it away uh, in... It's just crazy to me. Uh, I was pissed because I lost money on it, but I was also just it was just sad because it's that's what it has become for Jimmy Johnson uh, in his now final season and what it has become for the last couple two, three, four year three and a half years for him as a driver. But I do think that he'll he's gonna get he'll be hungrier and he'll be a little more on fire to wanna go and show up and and come through. Of course, he's going to have to come from tailback. As Rusty likes to say, and to make anything happen, he'll have a bad pit selection, all of that. But he'll he he's going to have a chance to get a solid top ten finish going into one of his favorite races, the Coca Cola Six Hundred, to possibly go and 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 do something he hasn't done in a long time, which is win. It's been a hundred races now since he's won which there was a long... There was a time where it seemed like he won every other race anyway, and it got old the same way as it did with Jeff Gordon and all those other guys. Uh, but I think he's he's back, and he's competitive. And, and Bowman signed a one-year extension to 21, so he's going to be safe there. Basically, three of the cars are a- accounted for, but with both Bowman and Byron, they are out of contract as of The end of 21. Um, So they are still kind of driving for their rides, but it does give, it does solidify Bowman's possibility of going after a championship for the first time in his uh, cup career. And that organization's kind of figured things out. That 88 team, the nine team, they're not going to do anything. Fat Felon loves trinket sellers, and Chase Elliott Clyde's the best trinket seller there is. So uh, he's never going to get rid of him. Uh, the big thing will be about the 48 car and who takes over that deal. Um, they talk about a bunch of things. I would. It's been out there. Clayton talked about it a while back, and there's other people who talked about it, that Brad Keselowski is probably a favorite for that ride. Uh, yeah, and that. I, yeah, so I think that's something that over time here, as the season kind of opens up a little bit, that that'll probably come out. Uh, But I do see that Chevrolet, it's good for the sport, having all the manufacturers being competitive. So the fact that Chevrolet is back, in a sense, is good. Uh, It means that there's going to be better racing, hopefully, uh, as the season goes on. Um, In terms of somebody who was affecting the racing and making it not as entertaining, uh, we go to Joe Gibbs Racing, who has been very dominant at Darlington Raceway over recent years, every single one of their drivers has won the Southern 500 with air quotes, whether it was actually in April, May, or in September. But they, even though three cars finished in the top 10, they really weren't a factor. Uh, Kyle Busch failed post pre-race inspection, had to go tailback, and then got to the top 10, only knocked the right side off of it, and eventually have a loose wheel, which kind of screwed up his day. There was loose wheel issues for uh, Truex and Eric Jones, but both of them got up to the top 10. Of course, Truex also had a car that was complete dog crap um, during the first, you know, I guess, 40, 50, 60 laps of that race. And if it weren't for the competition yellow and then subsequent yellows, he probably would have went a lap down, but he ended up recovering. Uh the thing I would say is, like, Hamlin got a top five, but, like, the thing I would look at is, is there, should we really be concerned? Even, I mean, the fact is they got three out of the four top ten. I think all of them would have been in the top ten if Kyle Busch doesn't go and do whatever. Should we really be concerned about some of the issues with performance on the Toyota side? Or is it just, you know, they were able to get get what they got. It wasn't their best day It if things kind of fall into place. Uh, they'll be able to do what they've been doing basically for the past five years, which is kind of dominate the sport. Um, is it just a precursor of things to come? What do you say there, Josh?
1: Uh, I think it's a precursor of things to come actually. Um, and here, here's why uh, Martin Truex is 11th in points. And, you know, the points don't really matter or the, at least the, the standings don't really matter that much, but uh, he's only had one top 10 and that was this past race. Um, that he lucked into, I guess with that yeah. uh, sixth place finish but um you know like he was struggling uh, throughout the uh, beginning portion of the race like he was like all the way back in twenty uh, ninth place and you know he's been a guy that's been dominant the, you know the, the last uh, three seasons or last four seasons really and i think I think there should be cause for concern because if he's not performing as well and Kyle Busch isn't performing as well, um, I think we're going to um, see maybe a changing of the guard. You know, if we talk about Chevy getting back to form. Well, uh, it might be a change of hands. Maybe Toyota takes or goes behind Chevy and it's uh, Ford and Chevy that are um, dominating the sport and Toyota goes back. Uh, and Eric Jones is, you know, he's, he's Eric Jones. He doesn't really do anything too special, uh, you know, he's had a couple of wins, but that's about it. And he doesn't really, uh, I mean, other than restrict your plate tracks, I don't, I don't really see him uh, being like a, a threat to win on a weekly basis.
0: Yeah, I mean, hes a def- he was a defending winner of the Southern. I mean, he still is a defending winner of the Southern 500. He's the most recent winner at Darlington. Didn't have the greatest day. The 20 team is basically the R&D team at JGR. And so he's never really going to get the best of it, and you consider Chris Bells kind of in the we- laying in the weeds, and he's had a pretty lackluster start to his cup career and so he's struggled, and there's references on social media about how people have raced in X amount of races and they are this many points behind Chris Bell. And when you consider that the guy has won 16 races in the Xfinity series in just over two years and what he's done, he's a former truck champion. I think it's kind of no selling him. I would also say for all the people who love Matthew Benedetto so much and the Reddit crowd that loves him so much, he wasn't really doing a whole heck of a lot in that 95 car at the start of the season either. He took off in the second round. It started at Sonoma, and from then on, he kind of was on an upswing. Uh, but before that, they were completely out to lunch. Uh, there was rumors that he was going to get the fan vote at the all-star race, and I'm like, this is garbage. There's no reason that he should be in that race. It's it's part of why the fan vote's a joke. Uh, and yeah, that's why Miss Hummer existed yeah, in part other than her uh, sucking out the dick. But it, it, getting back to JGR, it's like, yeah, Kyle Bush didn't have a great day because he and his team couldn't pass inspection. It wouldn't be a cup race without JGR failing inspection with one of their cars. Uh, it used to be the 20 or the 19. Now the 18 and 11 are getting nailed occasionally. It's still, a, it, and it affected Kyle. He wasn't able to get through the field as he's going to be able to get through whenever they run this Xfinity race here. Um, he's going to start 26th around some interesting characters. He'll be able to get through the ra- that field a whole lot easier. Uh, I, but he, he had gotten to the top 10, and he was going to probably finish in the top 10. And, uh, of course, he didn't end, it didn't end up that way because of the tire loose wheel, hit the wall, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I think it's, it's interesting in the sense that for Kyle Busch, he figured out a way to not race 13 races and win a championship. He figured out a way. I mean, you you can say whatever you want about it. It's fine. He didn't race 13 races. He won a championship. Last year, he basically was a non-existent through the entire playoff and was non-existent through half of Homestead. It took Martin Truex's team, a loose, a loose wheel on Martin Truex, and then some inexplicable uh, piece of tape on Denny Hamlin, and then Kyle Busch became a rocket ship in the second half of the Homestead race, and he's a two-time champion. So at the end of the day, when it comes to Kyle Busch, it's not like he hasn't figured out weird ways to win championships, and he has them. So even if he sucks for most of the year, he's capable of just showing up when it counts, and he's good at Phoenix. So that's where they're racing it. One of the worst racetracks they run on the whole entire circuit. So he'll uh, he, he as long as he can get to that point, it's all good. Uh, Truex struggling the way he has so far this year is not shocking, but you know Cole Pern now in his retired. Uh, owning a ski resort, Colpern, has been very uh, interesting and quite uh, uh, a great person to follow and read his posts. Uh, he talks about how bad the 550 rules package is. He talks about how, uh, what's his name, David Hoot's bet on races. There's all kinds of things that he says, and it's funny and it's sad because he was a great, that was a great combination. Those two, I mean, Martin Truex's cup career matters now because of, uh, Cole Pern, uh, before that, it kind of was two rate, three, two cup wins and a bunch of nothing. Uh, and now he's a champion. He's won all these races. And, uh, but it, this new James small is a screw chief. And, uh, Caitlin Vincey's husband as the car chief and all that, that, that didn't change. Uh, but they, that whole combination, they're working their way up and they're not going to win anywhere near as much as they did before. I don't think, but I think Martin Truex is going to be there. And of course, Danny Hamlin, because Reverend Gibbs loves Denny Hamlin and because JD was his buddy. Um, and nobody loves powder like, uh, like, uh, Danny Hamlin, uh, they, uh, they finished top five and he won Daytona and he did the same exact thing last year. He'd have bouts or spells of not really doing anything, you'll win a race. Spells of not doing anything, win a race. And then he'll get to the final, he'll get around to the final eight and then we'll find out what, uh, JGR has to really say about this championship. Uh, switching to, uh, another, like, completely different area. Uh, three people that stood out, but there's two that we'll focus on right here. They're rookies. This rookie class is one of the deepest rookie classes in, in recent memory. It might be the deepest rookie class ever in, the, in just the sheer amount of productivity that they're bringing to the Cup Series, the kind of rides that they are in. And two people uh, stood out, Tyler Reddick for RCR uh, coming off of two consecutive Xfinity championships for two different teams. And John Hunter Nemechek for Front Row Motorsports uh, coming off of the, you know, meh kind of year with GMS. He's had time with Chip Ganassi in the Xfinity series. He's most well-known driving for his dad's truck team and winning with basically less than five people total or six people, whatever between him, his dad, Jerry Ken, I think there may be three other people. I think he got like six people on that team and they're winning races. against some of these bigger organizations. Um, I mean, what do you think? Like I'll, I'll get in to my thoughts, but what did you think Josh about those two guys? I mean, Tyler Reddick was buried. He started 29th. Uh, he started 29th in that race and, he he came up, and he was a factor the whole day, uh, virtually the whole entire day. If he had track position, I think he would have been able to do a lot more work. John Hunter started 34th and ended up finishing 9th. Uh, uh, what do you think about those two rookies being able to finish top 10 in a cup car at Darlington in their first ever start there?
1: Oh, it's incredible, um, especially with John Hunter and Imiacek, I think, because is in a car that's not supposed to finish uh, that high on a you know, yeah. given race. You, know, you you don't expect him except for plate races to finish in the top 10. And Darlington being a dif- difficult track and the uh, type of team that is, I think that's really uh, probably more impressive than Ty- uh, Tyler Reddick. And, I, you know, with Tyler Reddick, uh, he, he'd been performing um, solidly. He just hadn't had the finishes that uh, he was getting, like, um, the last race that they had before the break, uh, he, he was he was doing good, and I, I think he uh, had a, a crash or a mechanical problem or something that prevented him from uh, having a good rate or a good finish. But um, I think him, I think he'll probably perform better overall. But that's just because um, he's in on a, a more quality team than uh, John Hunter Nemechek. But John Hunter Nemechek, uh, he was able to pull out a good finish. Um, and do you know, do something th- that we haven't seen, and uh, that's have a front row car finishing the top ten for like the first time and ever. And I think you you might be able to see some more solid performances, maybe top fifteen things like that throughout the season here and there. Um, and I I think uh, it should be a sign of the future uh, for the sport.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I would definitely say that John Hunter, you know, what he did was was quite impressive in the sense that I posted in our notes that we were talking about um, prior that it's the first time in three and a half years that Front Row Motorsports has finished in the top ten at a non-restrictor plate or what would be considered a restrictor plate racetrack. So John Hunter Nemechek doing what he did is quite impressive in that sense. Uh, he, he stood out. He had three races in last year at the end of the year driving the 36 car, and those are probably the three best runs that that 36 car had all year. Uh, he finished 21st at Texas, and I think he had a better car than that. I think he had a top-20 car for sure. He only got uh, 21st. Struggled at Phoenix, and then got 23rd at Homestead to finish the year. And this year so far, uh, they he's he had uh, the ninth, and he finished 11th in the Daytona 500, which was a was just a cluster. And then otherwise, he was top 25. So the fact is, running top 25 is about where that team is generally expected to be or what they've kind of become over the years from where they were to what they are now. And generally, you consider the driver they've had over the years, it's not like a who's who of greatness. Um, John Hunter Nemechek is raw, but he has a lot of, potentially, he has a lot of speed. And that combination with Seth Barber, it looks like the two of them together understand each other and know what they need. And I think that is a great thing for front row, a team that is on the upswing trying to build to be productive and competitive in this sport, one of the smaller efforts. And getting a ninth-place finish at Darlington's insane with that team. Uh, it's, it, it's something, you know, with all these stupid charters and the nonsense of that, that maybe John Hunter stays there and builds something. But I would also venture to say that someone like Roush Racing or someone like that that's a little above front row wouldn't do too bad, like a Ganassi, of course, because they need to find a replacement for Kurt Busch at the end of 21. You know, there's – they wouldn't do too bad by putting somebody like John Hunter Nemechek uh, in their race car. And it's a run like that that would say that he has the potential and ability to continue um, growing and becoming better. Uh, Tyler Reddick, I've been on that. Tyler Reddick bandwagon for a while. Uh, he drove for he drove for uh, uh, Brad Keselowski. Um, sadly, got into an accident. Got uh, got into a deal with Austin Therio, who, who I'm a fan of, and it basically put their careers. They both went off on separate angles in terms of Tyler Reddick. He's taken off and become an Xfinity champion twice, and he's. Pop Pop's favorite driver for sure Uh, He's made Austin Dillon Show up and actually earn his money For the first time in many years Uh, The RCR cars are running Better in general as we mentioned in terms of Chevy But his potential And his ability and speed With Randall Burnett Puts RCR back Into being Competitive for the first time Since Kevin Harvick Was there really and that's a big deal, uh, for RCR. And he's got the ability and talent to take them further than that as the season goes on. And we'll see what they do and how they build upon this, uh, race. But, and these races, cause Phoenix, he was also doing the same thing before he blew a tire. So, I mean, it, those two guys, I mean, the rookie class, everyone talked about Chris Bell. He's had a struggle. Cole Custer. Has struggled. Uh, people talk bad about Daniel Suarez. At the end of the day, Cole Custer really isn't doing any better. Um, you, you, and then past those four guys, I, I forget who else is a is a rookie. Uh, Garrett Smithley and he sucks, and and Brennan Poole. Yeah, they both suck. So uh, the, they in terms of the actual rookie class, it's really those four and Quinhoff. Um, and he was, he was completely irrelevant. Now, the opposite of rookies is Matt Kenseth, and he uh, made his return to the Cup Series first time since uh, the Homestead finale in 2018, uh, jumping into the 42 car, started 12th, finished 10th in the 42 for cheap Ganassi Racing. Um, I would, uh, and also Ryan Newman after his uh, serious accident at the, the end of the Daytona 500 ends up getting a 15th place finish, which is totally Ryan Newman and totally that 16. Uh, I would uh, say in terms of what it, what were your thoughts about both of those guys and what they did uh, on Sunday, Josh, and what do you expect? Can, can both of these guys win? Uh, this year? Um, and if so, or if not, whatever, Like, if so, where? And if not, why?
1: Well, uh, I was, it was pretty impressed to see Matt Kenseth pull out a top 10 after not being in a car for uh, over a year. Uh, I think I think um, it was a good good result for him. And the same thing for Ryan Newman. Um, I think uh, it's... It's going to be interesting to see how Kenseth performs over the next couple of races as he kind of gets re into the car. Uh, and I, I think o- over time, I, I would probably put Matt Kenseth being uh, more likely to uh, win a race. And the reason why I say that is because uh, you know the 42 car was driven by Kyle Larson formerly, and um, he had a lot of uh, chances to win races uh, in the last... Uh, three seasons, uh, he didn't always close it out and that's one of his flaws, but the chances were there. And I think, um, the sooner or, yeah, as soon as, uh, Matt Kenseth gets reactivated you know, he's a very savvy veteran, uh, who knows how to preserve his car throughout a race and knows when and when not to, um, put the pressure on and, um, go up and try to get the lead and, and, uh, win the race. And so I would say, uh, maybe is a, a dark horse potentially or, um, or slightly a underdog favorite just because there, you know, there's other guys that are more winning or more, um, more competitive than, than the 42 car. But I, I think you might be able to see uh, Matt Kenseth uh, not necessarily steal a win, but I like, if, if he won to race, I wouldn't be surprised. And as for Brian Newman, um, I, I, I don't know. It's it's tough to say, and that's really reflective on Roush as an organization because uh, he's he's been a, a good driver for most of his career, but Roush just hasn't been that good. And they've been close, maybe in the last um, couple of seasons, they've started to improve from where they were like five years ago uh, or four years ago. But I I would say maybe Ryan Newman um, would be better for the. Maybe like the restrictor plate tracks, and he's performed well. Like you know, he performed well at Daytona before he crashed, and he finished second last uh, fall at Talladega. So I, I think it could be possible for him to win, but I would just say uh, Kenseth might be more likely, and that's just because I think they're on Kenseth is on a better team than Newman is overall.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, that it makes. Uh, sense uh, all that all those points you said there Josh I mean, you talk about Matt he won the Slinger Nationals he won uh, in a super late model and over Ty Majeski, who's driving the number 45 for Nice Motorsports and Ty Majeski is one of the best super late model drivers in many years recent years and he's also really good talent and so for him and to do that, and he he also ran well in one other uh, super late model race, but Kenseth basically has been on the sidelines doing running and uh, what do you call other types of uh, events, and he hasn't really been in a car. And for him to jump in a race car, albeit you consider the guy's won 39 races. He's not... He's, a, he's going to the Hall of Fame for a, whatever he does, uh, Matt Kenseth. And I, there were times they showed him in the car that considering how that car was handling and how that car looked, that if he had, if the previous driver had been in that race car, it would have probably been in the wall and he would have, it would have been in the garage or they would have finished in the 30s. Uh, Matt took a car that was probably not the best handling piece that he's ever had in his life in, in a whole totally unfamiliar situation at a track that totally does suit Matt Kenseth and who he is and his driving talents and, and pulls out a top-ten finish like it's nothing. And so, I mean, in that sense, you have to go and give him credit uh, for sure. Uh, you know, and and it, the it, it's something to see. He's thirty fourth in points. He has to get into the top 30, first of all, uh, to be eligible for the uh cup uh playoff. And he also probably has to win a race. Uh, he that team, of course, Kurt Busch finished third. They have a good vibe going on at that organization. The fact is, with with Ganassi, they're very Ganassi's always. Larson was the was the thing that he did that went against his usual M.O. of going with very old veteran guys, and going with Kenseth here is a safe play. It's also a great way to evaluate if Chad Johnston's any good or not. Uh, He really isn't, but whatever. He's not going to do anything about that. He's kept them around for this long. Their pit crew, which has not been good for many years, Um, they're going to get a full evaluation of both of those things with Matt Kenseth. Um, Newman coming back, getting a top 15. That's basically where he finished every race last year. In most races last year, that's what he did. He was nowhere... Uh, during the day, most of the day, and then he'd get a top ten or fifteen finish. He did get a stage, couple stage points in the first stage, after starting twenty first, but after that, kind of wasn't around. And he spun out, caused a caution. They didn't do anything to him. He came back to fifteen. Uh, the, as Josh said, the best opportunity for Newman to really have a chance to win would be. Uh, Talladega here in a few weeks Uh, Daytona And again in August As the last race of the uh, Regular season now Instead of July the 4th weekend Which we'll kind of get into At the end of the program Uh, They don't really Have the speed To be competitive At most One and a half mile racetracks Newman is not A great road racer, Uh, so short tracks might be in play depending with the 750 package. Uh, The 17 car with with uh, the Chris Buescher has had some struggles this year. Uh, Even though you know he's 16th in points, he had a horrible day on Sunday. Uh, That was the worst run I think he's had all year, really. Uh, he's averaging 16.4. So he's in play. He's on the bubble in terms of uh, playoff and as of now, even though he had a horrible um, day on Sunday, finishing 32nd. So you have to consider Roush. It's going to be much harder for them. It's going to be an oddball racetrack or a different type of racetrack for them to make something happen, as, uh, you know, Josh uh, said so well. Uh, the, you know, the we talked about it. Of course, the Xfinity race will be running as of now. Uh, it's been rescheduled to 12 noon on Thursday afternoon. And then they would also, if the cup race were to be rained out tomorrow, it would be run on Thursday night. Of course, Cup Series has qualifying and a race on Sunday. The Coca-Cola 600, the only race where they're going to have qualifying for a while because uh, NASCAR announced that they're not going to have practice or qualifying uh, for a lot of these uh, upcoming races. Here they they said, uh, what is it, Bristol, which is next the following week. He's at Bristol, Atlanta, Martinsville, or Homestead. Won't have any practice or qualifying. And then they haven't figured out what they're going to do with Talladega, but because they run those cars and basically trim to, to race, I would assume they're not going to practice there either. It would probably make sense. Uh, that they wouldn't uh, run practice there. So what What I would say is like, what do you think in terms of what we saw on Sunday, but did, what do you think in terms of these next, probably next month for the uh, exception of the Coke 600 having actual qualifying? What do you think of that move by NASCAR, Josh, to basically eradicate practice Eradicate qualifying. We're just gonna run what you brought, show up, and let's see what happens.
1: Well, I mean, it's like what we said before. <clears throat> um, excuse me. Um, like we said, we said last week. Like practice and qualifying is gonna. <clears throat> sorry, it's gonna be mean more. Um, uh, it's gonna mean more uh, for the uh, teams to hit the setup in the garage, uh, but with qualifying being canceled, except for the six hundred. Uh, we'll see we're gonna see a lot of it's gonna give a lot of drivers who don't qualify good help uh, especially like uh I, well I, I don't know exactly like which drivers uh, aren't that great at qualifying but definitely like like for example um, I would say maybe like um, Kenseth I mean he even though he's not i, I don't know i wouldn't say he's a good or great or bad qualifier but I think Definitely, it probably helped him a little bit to start in 12th place and to kind of hang around in that, that bubble the whole day uh, and and come home in the top 10. So I think at tracks that require um, good track position uh, and and where clean air is basically uh, king, I think you'll see uh, the drivers that are randomized in the tier that they are in uh, with how they're running qualifying. Um with these randomized draw per, um, the tier or, you know, prefer first through 12th and 12th through 24th and so on. Uh, I think, I think some of those guys will have help because they're able to kind of stay within, uh, that range of positions. And probably we'll see at Charlotte, um, those guys, like whoever's, uh, whatever the order is with, uh, and it's probably going to be some, some variation of the current, Uh, uh, Order the standings. I think um, with, I think we'll see uh, a lot of uh, drivers that stay in in those groupings throughout uh, these next upcoming races, Um, and I I don't know. I I think that's all I can say about that. Really,
0: yeah, I would I would say that for the teams. I mean, I, I we mentioned it last week during the show that. I I'm a proponent for anything that, show, that lessens the load, per se, on the over-the-road crew. Uh, basically, you have to go and take the car off the, the trailer, run it through inspection, and put it out on the racetrack, and then you go from there. I look at how NASCAR runs race weekends and how they, they don't really have a great clue or idea of how to run a good and efficient race weekend and I think this is forcing them to kind of do less is more. Um, I would hope that this would kind of deviate some of the races away from everything being at the same racetrack so that we'd have to have Cup light per se in both Truck and Xfinity. Um, you know, one-day shows work for so many other series. Why can't you have one-day shows with Cup? Um, why can't it's like if you're gonna get there at eight o'clock in the morning the racetrack opens at 8 a.m you get there the the people are there to run the race at six fans are open at eight eight thirty you have a practice you run a one-hour practice get some stuff done you run a qualifying and then you race at whatever they want to run at three thirty three o'clock for some reason for tv it doesn't work the ratings prove it run earlier, get things done, get in, get out. It's an efficiency deal. Um, Hopefully what comes from this is that they're going to end up doing less practice, have less days on the road for the people that actually make this sport come off. Uh, That would be a positive. In terms of did we, like we talked about it through this so far, when you consider what we saw on the racetrack on Sunday relative to what we would have seen if there was practice, I don't think there really was much of a difference at all, like you said, and it's true. So what the hell do you need practices and wasting tires, which are not good in the first place, and wasting time? Show up, run what you've run. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, do that and do that for all series and let's go, you know. Let's let's figure out efficiency standards. There's so much inefficiency in this world, and the way NASCAR has been run, it's very inefficient for many years, which is why they've had the issues that they have. And we'll see what happens with the weather. Um, They're going to have to make some changes and adjustments accordingly because of the weather. But I think in that sense, they're onto something to make things better. Um, the Xfinity race, of course, uh, rained out Thursday afternoon. They hope uh, for the Xfinity race. The I think Toyota, whatever. I don't know what the a- actual the uh, Toyota two hundred. Yeah. So the I mean they set the starting lineup. Uh, if you don't know it. And you're listening to this. The starting lineup will be the top uh, top ten: Greg Sin and Annette. So J Junior Motorsports front row, Justin Haley and Ryan Sieg row two, Riley Herbst and Brandon Brown row three, Austin Sindrick, Brandon Jones, a winner at Phoenix row four, Ross Justine, Justin Allgaier row five, Chase Briscoe winner at Las Vegas, Harrison Burton winner at California row six they did the top every 12 positions the top 12 uh and they did a random draw for all of those uh bj mcleod uh who's taking over the sixth car because uh whataburger i think went uh went under during uh this COVID 19 which cost uh, david Starr a sponsor and the ride myatt snyder in the second uh RSS cars 14th. Josh Williams and Alex LeBay teammates. Row 8. Anthony Alfredo for RCR and Jesse Little for JD Motorsports in row 9. Uh, other people to look at. Daniel Hemrick is starting 23rd. Kyle Busch starting 26th. Timmy Hill starting uh, 28th with uh, the full sponsor from Roof Claim. That's a connection with Hattori Racing. So when Hattori Racing decides to run Xfinity races, they run with the 61. Uh, Jeremy Clemens uh, starts 30th, and Jeffrey Earnhardt makes his first uh, attempt of 2020. Uh, Landing Castle is probably going to be a starting park. Uh, so, what do you look for in the Xfinity event? Who do you like? If we were to say. In terms of the regulars, because we assume Kyle Bush is going to be Kyle Bush. In terms of the regulars, who do you look for to stand out uh, during this race whenever it comes off?
1: Well, we, we might see Noah Gregson um, at the beginning of the race, just because he's in the uh, first place. Uh, he might start out and um, maybe lead the first portion of the race. But I'd probably look for um, probably Chase Briscoe or uh, Ross Chastain and Justin Allgaier, to, even though they're kind of like in that ninth, 10th, and 11th spot or grouping, I think they'll probably begin to, as the race progresses, they'll they'll be the guys to look out for and, and uh, they'll be uh, up towards the front and probably leading. Um, and of course, Kyle Busch, uh, we, we probably expect him to go through the field like a, a hot knife through butter and if he's not in the lead, he'll be in the top five at least.
0: Yeah. I, I would I would say that row, row six is where you really have to look. Uh, Briscoe and Burton have been the two best regulars so far. Uh, when you consider that Chase is kind of racing for a ride and a career in a lot of ways uh, with Stuart Haas, uh, Ford supports them a lot, but You know, he needs to do something. He said he needs to win a lot of races to keep a job. And um, the 14 car, I think, looks very open in terms of opportunity. I think the 10 might also be an opportunity as well. So Chase is kind of racing for a ride there. Harrison Burton is the next big thing at JGR uh, before, of course, Ty Gibbs gets moved up for no reason because he's – grandpa's money, just like uh, Austin Dillon. The The fact is oh, those two guys are going to be two of the guys we're going to look at moving up the cup soon. Ross Chastain, I would also look at the colleague racing, as you said, but colleague racing in general have not had a great start to 2020 compared to what they looked at like at times last year. Um, Haley hasn't won an Xfinity or race yet. Uh, this is an opportunity for him. Uh, the row two, those two guys never won in Xfinity in Haley and Sieg. You have uh, Chastain, who was considered a favorite for this championship. Uh, this before the season started has not really had a great start to the year. Now that he's focusing full time on Xfinity, and he'll be running in the Rick Ware Cluster F in Cup. Will they be able to make a step forward? Those are things that we have to watch um, and look at as we go along. Uh, The last thing we'll go over before we uh, let you guys go, Um, you know, it it was something that stood out. We talked about it last week uh, during the show in terms of some of these uh, backmarker teams. One thing that came up, I think during the race was was how bad uh, certain drivers were, and one of them being Quinn Huff, who had never run a lap at Darlington Raceway and started twenty seventh and I think as much as you know we goof on Ricky Stenhouse for obvious reasons, uh, was a part and part part of the reason why Ricky Stenhouse wrecked. Uh, lap one, two turns into the race on Sunday because the guy's in the way. Uh, I I, I think the initial question is, before I go further, I will go deeper, is like, are are we really doing what's best for the sport or what is in terms of the best things to make the sport look good when you have a guy who has never driven a lap on a racetrack starting in the middle of the field, basically dropping anchor? Is that really a good thing or good look for this sport when you're doing that sort of thing, especially at a track like Darlington?
1: No, I I don't think that's a good look at all. Uh, especially, I think there has to be uh, some as uh, you know, they go through each track, I think there has to be some kind of minimum qualification level. You know, there used to be a thing, and I don't know if it still is a thing, where at the plate tracks, like if you didn't have enough starts or enough experience NASCAR uh wouldn't let you race and I think this was a thing it's mostly a thing with rookies and uh people who don't have experience and I think I don't know if you see it or you've seen it too much in cup but it was I think I remember hearing that a lot like with Xfinity with rookies there and and uh uh, trucks and things like that but um I think you know especially with how uh the schedule is going forward with no practice and and um no qualifying and anything like that. I think there's probably got to be some sort of, uh, I guess, minimum level of experience that they need to implement for the field. Because if there's a driver that's never raced on a track before, um, they should either be put to the back, like sorted to the back, I guess, or um, so they're out of the way, or they yeah. shouldn't be allowed to race at all.
0: Yeah. i guess, I, I, guess. I think I think that would have would have solved uh some of the initial issues that that uh, took place there at the start of the race if if a Quinhoff had been sent tail back uh that would have probably been better than what they ended up uh doing uh, there's I, I mean I don't have a very high regard for him or that organization but you should know better. Uh, th- there's people that go... Like, I look at Chad Fincham running for MBM. They took the points from the 42 or whatever team it was last year, and they were getting, because of rainouts, number they were starting up front. But Chad Fincham's like, dude, I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm not going to make make a, a a fool out of myself. I'm going to get out of the way. And so it depends on the team. It depends on the organization. You brought up the point about restrictor plate tracks, but there's also the tiered system about you have to be a certain age and you have to have a certain amount of, you know, like they have the age gap, age limits on how many, like however many mile racetrack you can run. You can only run road courses and short tracks at a certain age. You can only run, You have to be 18 to run, or you have to run certain age at ARCA and whatever, K&N, which is now in under ARCA, to run uh, truck races. You have to be 18 to run over a mile racetrack. You know, like they have things like that, but even with that, you should also hold that same standard as you move forward. I don't care that you're in the cup series you should actually have to be able to pass a test. Like, they used to have a test at Darlington for running Darlington. And A.J. Foyt, who's one of the greatest race car drivers ever lived, failed his initial Darlington test. So that's A.J. Foyt. He's actually good at driving a race car. Quinn Huff couldn't drive a hot nail through snow. And he was out there and he was dropping anchor like it was like he was driving my Kia. Uh, And it's not an offense on Kia. It's the fact that I'm, I'm driving a family, I'm driving a grocery getter and he looked like that's what he was driving. Uh, because he, he sucks. It, it's, it's kind of makes it a farce. It's a farcical, completely farcical, uh, thing when you do stuff like that and you put people out there that are probably unqualified uh, to be out there um, and that's, that's something that when you're talking about a sport that has a captive audience and has the opportunity to make something happen you should be able to manage that sort of thing but obviously it's NASCAR they have to show why they are who they are and um, We'll uh, end right here. I'm trying to see uh, my buddy Nate. I sent him a link, but he didn't uh, seem to call in. Uh, go, wasn't able to go and do something with that. But we'll go over the the starting lineup. We'll go over the top 10, which is basically 11 to 20 inverted. Priest, Dylan, Ty Dylan, Joey Logano, Clint Boyer, uh, Blaney, Ryan Newman, P. Benedetto, Brad Keselowski, who had a lot of laps, Eric Elmer lost, and Dylan, the top 10. Penske had a really rough day at Darlington. I would ask, what, are your th- what do you think, at least early on, what do you think is going to come from this invert, and who do you think is going to stand out? I think you made some mention of it earlier, Josh, but... uh what do you look for at least early on in what's supposed to happen as tomorrow's Toyota 500?
1: Well, so we could see uh, Ryan Priest. He might he might be able to hold his own in the um, top ten. We've seen him do it before, um, and Ty Ty Dillon to a certain extent as well. He could do that, but I would probably expect them to um, drop down through the field. Not, not entirely, but they, they'll probably end up settling, um, I would say, maybe for Priest, probably in the 10 to 20 range. Um, if things go right for him and for Dylan, he'll probably sell in the 20 to 25 range because that's, where, that's uh, kind of the driver he is. Uh, we'll probably see Joey Logano um, set the tone for the race uh, at least early on, I could say, because um, uh, out of the uh, first – a uh, couple of drivers. I think he's probably um, the, I guess, most capable. And you know, with actually with uh, Blaney and Kislowski in the top ten as well. Kieslowski, uh dominated the first portion of that race on Sunday. He he might be able to go up there and challenge uh, for the lead, or at least uh, maintain a spot in the top five. Uh, Hunter Nemechek in twelfth. Maybe maybe he might be able to carry some momentum. But with uh, especially with this inverted field uh, it's actually it could be interesting to see some of the other guy drivers who were uh, I, you know who were in the top 10 in the previous race and showed what they could do uh, try to move up through the field.
0: yeah it's it pre had a car that at times was the top 10 car uh, using that. Uh, track position driving a car that uh, appeals to certain segments of society, um, it would probably be great for them, uh, for him to be running up front since he's running a Tide Pod Chevy. Uh, the Penske guys struggling outside of Brad early in the race. Um, there's, a, I think Penske will improve from where they were, which was nowhere. Uh, for the most part, on Sunday. Blaney was didn't have anything. Logano wasn't a factor. Of course, when you've won multiple races, it doesn't matter what you do the rest of the season, really. Um, I figure that at least early on, the Fords will be up there, but I would expect Toyota to stand out and make something happen. It's going to be hard for the guys like to come from 20th uh, at least I don't know it'll probably be until the end of the first stage before you see those guys that finished up front really get up front, the Kyle Bushes of the world who got who had the problems, he's gonna have to work hard to even he he won't have to work hard to get into that uh, position by thirty laps to be in the top twenty to pit, but like Jimmy Johnson's gonna have to work harder to get through Chris Bush, who had a rough day guys like that, you know, to move up. There's going to be comers and goers definitely, which will bring some level of interest and make the at least the first 30 laps interesting, more interesting than it would have been in a typical race. Uh, by the end of the first segment, I think we'll kind of see similar to what we saw, but we could see some new players because the Penske guys are up there. The Gibbs guys struggled until later in the day. I think uh, that could make for a better show as we lead into the races at Charlotte which will be the Coca-Cola 600 on Sunday the Memorial Day tradition uh Indianapolis 500 of course has moved to August uh, and that's one thing another thing in terms of scheduling uh, we'll end on this Uh, You're close to Daytona there, Josh, and IMSA will be running their first race back. Uh, It's a Jim France entity, of course, IMSA. They're going to be running on July the 4th weekend at Daytona, and it continues a tradition because they were going to lose the, what is the Coke Zero 400 now, the Firecracker 400 for many years. From the July, the fourth weekend, and they're going to move it to the whatever the cutoff race for the playoff to August. But now, at least IMSA is going to fill that void as NASCAR tries to go and run at Indianapolis during that weekend as it stands with things are going. So, what do you feel about uh, Daytona still holding on to? The July the fourth weekend, while NASCAR and IndyCar will be at Indy.
1: Uh, it should be interesting. Uh, it, it actually you brought up uh, keeping that July fourth tradition, which is true. But uh, the I guess well the predecessor, well I guess IMSA has always been around, but it yeah. was I guess known as the Rolex Sports Car Series, the Grand Am Series, whatever you want to call it. Uh, a yeah. decade ago, and they had their uh, July 4th race or July 4th weekend race the Paul Revere 250 I believe it was called so it's kind of a throwback yep. to that when you think about it like that um, but hopefully it, uh, it remains a fixture in the series uh, in the coming years I know that they're trying to make up for races um, because of the pandemic and all that but hopefully it, it becomes a regular thing going forward but it should be an interesting race uh, and We'll see how that goes. Uh I mean I wish I could go, but they said that uh they're not having fans either and I and shouldn't shouldn't expect anything like that anytime soon, but do wish I could go to that.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't think fan access to big sporting events is gonna be happening anytime soon for any of the major sports. Uh I do think that it's good that they are coming back to what was a tradition for many years, even before the grand damn days of the uh, yeah. Paul Rear 250, um, which was a remake of what they had in the six, 50s, fifties, sixties or the sixties and the seventies. And they stopped it for a while, brought it back, um, went away. I think hopefully Daytona looks at that and says, I mean, they should probably put it back. The cup race back where it was, but if not, go and run IMSA there. That's a good look. Uh, it would be good for the series. It'd be good for uh, you know. You could run a six-hour event there, or you could run a you could run it on July the fourth itself, and it would actually be uh, a cool deal because there was a time when the Indy 500s run on Memorial Day, and so was a Coke 600, and there's the same thing with the uh, what who is now the Coke Zero 400 used to be run on July the 4th. So it would be a good thing. Um, and it's good to see racing is going to be back in some way, shape or form. It isn't what we're all used to, but it's good. Uh, having something is better than nothing. Having our health and being here for ourselves, for our loved ones and for people that matter to us is better than, what a lot of people are going through and it's a very tough time for many people uh, even in racing there's been some losses due to uh, the COVID-19 and it's it's a tough time and we're, we're not out of it and we're still dealing with it and it's something to where we're grateful that we have racing we're able to talk about it because the fact of the matter is you know, it could be even worse than what it is right now, and at least we have this. So, we'll be back next week here with the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, Josh and I will be on, and we'll talk about what happened at Darlington because there's going to be more races at Darlington. There's also going to be the Coke Six Hundred. There's going to be an Xfinity, a couple of Xfinity races. Truck race will be happening. We'll be back going the way that we'd be going. And we'll also talk about other series. We'll talk about IndyCar coming back here in the next week or two at Texas Motor Speedway and so on and so forth, and IMSA and any other racing series that's going on, and whatever else comes to our mind with football going on as well. Uh, Do you have anything going out there, Josh?
1: just looking forward hopefully we have the race uh tomorrow and weather doesn't interrupt
0: all right yep all right thanks man as always uh this is grip strip podcast and thanks for listening hope uh you subscribe here on podbean and uh, give us a like and also give us your comments to hear let us know what you want to hear in future episodes about motorsports and sports Thank you so much. You have a good night. Be safe. Take care.